0: Welcome back to Linga Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. Today we're interviewing Paul Masvidal of Cynic. Uh, Thanks for making time to chat to us, Paul.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So just to start off as we always do, how would you describe Cynic's music to somebody that uh, was familiar with metal but hadn't heard you before? What kind of genre would you say that it falls under and why?
1: Hmm. You know, I... I've always struggled with that. I think in the early days we identified as being like extreme progressive type of music. And, you know, over the course of three decades, I think we decided we were sweet genre you know, kind of just a hybridized kind of mix of everything without trying to fit into a particular genre. I think a progressive rock or metal person would hear us as that thing and other people will hear. So it's, it's kind of a variety of, of stuff, depending on, you know, the song. Mm-hmm. And I think that our really the task of cynic has always been to try and do something new and um, break the mold and bring something new to the table and do something that's kind of without category and maybe, a new thing you know just break out of because there's it's so easy to rip each other off and do I feel like the originality is is scarce in this scene especially in like the rock and metal community and so I always felt it was like how do I break out of all of that and go in the most unorthodox direction possible and bring something new to the table which I think is the duty of any artist really is to kind of expand and inspire other artists and show that there's other ways to do things rather than just rip off people you admire. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. So it's kind of a hybrid. I don't really know if I can, I like to think of it as, as genreless, but you know, if you hear certain songs and you hear growls, you're going to call it death metal. <laughs> if you hear other songs, <laughs> like it's ambient or experimental rock. Um, it's, but again, it's like we we love to put things in boxes and categories. And I, I love to just step out of them as much as possible. So. Somewhat kind of
2: provocatively, um, Encyclopedia Metallum describes cynic in three stages, calling you thrash metal early progressive death metal slash fusion mid and now progressive rock later. Uh, do you align with this or do you think it's kind of a bit weird to not call you a metal band?
1: I mean, you know, it's, that's cool. How, you know, everyone's going to do their thing with it. Right. And um, for me, it's, it's kind of like, if they want to call it that, that's, that's everyone's, you know, we're all subjectively kind of experiencing and hearing things and sad songs can sound happy to somebody and a happy song can sound sad to someone else, depending on where they're at. So I'm down, I'm down with whatever, whatever works, you know Um, Mm. what it's, it's all good with me.
0: So how about when you first started getting into metal music like were you initially attracted to a diversity of different uh, like subgenres, or was there one in particular that you gravitated towards?
1: I think I was all over the place I was an eclectic kind of kid uh, I started out playing classical guitar and I ended up um, kind of in a you know getting into classic rock via my older brother. And then I ended up kind of diving deeper into just going more extreme with extreme forms of metal, which was really kind of the early days of Metallica and Slayer and all that stuff. And then, and then it just went, I went further down that rabbit hole getting into tape trading and all the kind of variations of extreme metal that were happening. So, also, while at the same time, I was listening to like, you know, I started to get into fusion and jazz and pop music. And so I was kind of all over the place. And I think we all were, especially, I mean, I still am, but in the early days, I always joke. It's like while we were making Death's Human, we were listening to everything but death metal. It was all like all about fusion and jazz and like experimental pop. And I think that's probably why it lends itself to being something more original and refreshing because our we're kind of pulling from, sources that aren't doing that stuff you know so it's like our references are outside the box
2: when you were first getting into metal and listening to metal uh, especially the more extreme stuff did you pay attention to the lyrics at all like do you have a moment where uh like oh this is kind of how language is used in metal solidified for the first time in your mind
1: yeah i wasn't really that impressed with the lyrics uh (laughs) there were certain bands that maybe spoke to me more than others um like tom warrior from you know celtic frost like i think he was really doing some writing some interesting things and there was other people out there that were kind of getting into a little bit more layered stuff rather than just trying to sound evil or masculine you know Mm -hmm. i mean we we were coming at it from such a different direction i think that It was, we had to find something authentic that we could identify with. So it was just immediately kind of, again, went totally non-typical metal (laughs) starting. I think the early days, the demos pre focus I was really kind of into political things and Mm -hmm. just very like against the system and rebelling against kind of the ways of the world. I guess I still am to a degree but I was very much interested in writing about that, like how screwed up the world is and how we're in trouble and and all that stuff. So I think I shifted when I started to look inward into a more kind of philosophical approach to lyrics rather than externalizing.
2: So like broadly speaking, there's kind of been uh, a long running debate in scholarship on metal about whether or not it's all like the lyrics are all just kind of play like kind of the horror movie style thing, or if it's something that reflects sort of the author's intent, would you say that your approach has more been towards reflecting the self in a way?
1: I guess like, it's funny. Cause when you say the self, you know, mm. I'm like, who's what's the self, <laughs>
0: right? So sure, it's like
1: sure. almost like the, the what's beyond the self and always kind of more digging into existential questions about who am I beyond this identity and this person. Like I I think I had moments of writing about kind of life experiences in terms of real time things like relationships and stuff like that. And I've done that with a lot of the more like acoustic type music and um, like, and those other types of projects, but with Cynic, it's it really kind of from the get-go was almost like about kind of going beyond the ego and the identification with the self and, and kind of tapping into something that was more, I guess, spiritual. It was just trying to understand reality from a different point of view and not necessarily from the eyes of like a personality. And so I always felt like the lyrics were coming through me versus like from me, you know? It was almost like, Mm. who is this? And what is this? What am I trying to say? And who is the I in that? So it was always this like dismantling of identity that was at work with, with Cynics Music, I think. It was always kind of going deeper into trying to look a little bit below the surface of identity and form. And trying to understand who I was and a lot of it, especially those early days, you know, even beginning with focus, not only was I actively like diving into a hardcore meditation practice, but I was also experimenting a lot with psychedelics, you know, and, um, so that combo platter will just rip you out of any conceptual structure of how you think you understand the reality, right? It was just like kind of, whoa, I don't know what's going on here kind of thing, which is really humbling and cool. So it lent itself to a lot of that kind of approach to lyrics where everything's kind of a question, you know, and um, but it really depends on the song and the record. I feel like every record is also a snapshot of inner to outer experience so a reflection of what's going on externally, but kind of putting it in this like big kettle, you know, and a big soup and just like mixing it up with all these kind of existential ideas and then trying to kind of unravel. I mean, I almost, I don't really, it's never like a literal thing, you know what I mean? You can ask me about songs and I'll tell you, I think a reference point based on where it was coming from, but for the most part, it's always like more of an existential kind of, look at what's going on from like a passenger, you know, like trying to kind of observe, but there were moments where there was the I or the, the me involved in some of the lyrics. And so it just depends really.
0: So given that you have this kind of very non-traditional approach uh, to music and you've drawn all these kind of diverse inspirations, like from within metal and outside of that, we are wondering, uh, why is it then that you've still kind of returned to metal at least on kind of a general level um, to do this kind of experimental work with your music? Like what is it about metal that makes it a suitable vehicle for that kind of experiment uh, experimentation?
1: Well, what I found, especially in the early days, was that with coming up in Miami and we were part of the Florida scene, which was mostly central Florida, is the bands, were, so extreme and so experimental that I felt like metal was the one space where you could break all the rules (laughs) and Mm. not necessarily, it was still under the umbrella maybe, but the whole definition of progressive, especially was about breaking out of anything that's right. You're just, you're being progressive. So it's like, think of the meaning of that word. So it's kind of like metal gave us this space to just not have boundaries, not fit in boxes and it produced a lot of interesting extreme music that now has been copied and you have all these variations on a theme. Like, you know, you have the whole gent genre that was mm-hmm. birthed from a mashuga essentially. But mm-hmm. look at even certain riffs from bands, even Cynic and other bands, there's genty moments. And you can think that, oh, mashuga took that idea and just built a whole world out of it in the same way that like. People took one Beatles song and built an entire genre out of it, <laughs> you know, like sure. or you know, there was like genres bird out of one song. So I feel like that's at work, and it was it just felt boundaryless, like you know, especially growing up with bands like Atheist and Cynic, we we were really kind of riding on each other, just being as outside as possible, and like and it was, and we still had the angst. And I think what was so cool about the metal stuff is that you could be extremely visceral you can just like get into this incredible dynamics that was like at the level of classical music, right? Just like mm-hmm. super aggressive, super dissonant. And then you can make real beauty too and kind of calm and spaciousness. So it, it was like one of the few genres where you can hold all of that and still be somewhat in it, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this freedom, but uh, obviously, especially in the early 1990s scene, a lot of bands did kind of tend, I guess it was a box that they put themselves in. But you know, to just discuss gore, right? Uh, discussions of gore and violence became almost a trope that, ironically, kind of boxed people in a little bit. But you've avoided this from the beginning. Like, if we go all the way back to uh, Focus, the closest thing to a reference to violence is um, the fall of a sparrow attending to the slightest scratch of flesh. And that's continued to be pretty absent in your work. Um, but we've meant, we've read uh, interviews with you where you mentioned touring with like Cannibal Corpse and people throwing bottles at you because they didn't get it. And so we're wondering like, way back in the day, did you feel pressure to stop what you're doing or like that you're doing something odd? Did you feel that, oh, my life would be easier if I just kind of sung about zombies and, and murder and death? And um, kind of following off that, did you ever hear comments that, felt that kind of uh, an approach lyrics like inspire us to build a new world one in which famine disease and ignorance will be only memories of a dismal past uh wasn't metal enough and was too hopeful for the genre
1: yeah i mean it was not easy (laughs) writing about these things because we were highly criticized and Mm -hmm. uh, i don't remember a lot of reviews where there were they understood what the lyrics were about it was like who the who do these people think they are (laughs) It was a lot of that, like, well, how dare they, like, what are they, how, how pompous, how, how, you know, it was just a lot of like, basically like you can't do that in metal. You can't mm-hmm. do that. And so you had all these gatekeepers that wanted to keep us in the box and especially coming from having played with death and more extreme bands, you know, people were just like, wait a second, you know, vocoder and these weird lyrics and, so it was really challenging actually. And yeah, I mean, I never, you know, I was a gay, a gay man, you know, and I had already resi- already open and out to myself. And not to say you can't be gay and full of aggression, but I was more connected to like a different part of my psyche and essentially my like how i existed in the world that was less fueled by aggression and more fueled by beauty i wanted to see beautiful things i wanted to i mean cynic were wearing you know indian garb, like you know like baggy pants and colorful clothes like we didn't fit in (laughs) in the way that in any way you know so we were breaking the rules like all the way around, and it was extremely challenging for us. I, I mean, that's partially why we broke up. I mean, we were just we felt completely misunderstood. And we we gave this record everything we had, and we felt like, holy shit, no one likes us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> other than like a couple shows here and there. Mm-hmm. It was hard. It was really hard out there. And I can't tell you, I mean, even you know, even on Trace and Air, we had tours where people were screaming. Faggot, you know like festivals or whatever there's still so much of that going on in the scene and it's more like below the radar now it's mm-hmm. not like outspoken back then it was so masculine and male and we never quite like us identified with that you know we weren't not that we were trying to be like femme or something we were just kind of in some ways, you know, genderless. We were just being ourselves, you know. It was like it wasn't about being this tough guy. That's why I was so careful when someone would ask me, Oh, what kind of music do you play? Because back then, especially if you said metal, they immediately think masculine cheesy, like you know what I mean? And it was like, no, we're not that kind of metal, you know, like
0: yeah. we're, we're
1: it's like we're nerdy and weird and experimental and it's gets heavy, but it's not like you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I even remember the, you know, the growling on focus where the goal was to make it like heart driven growl rather than like angry. It was from the heart, you Mm know, it's that kind of thinking that I think was kept us always removed a little bit and made it the path more difficult. You know, they say like, you know, as an artist, if you're going to carve your own, you know, what's that Emerson quote, right? Like go where there is no path and make your own Mm -hmm. trip, whatever. But what happens is there's a lot of thorns on that path and you get cut up and it's extremely painful. And that's why, you know, this band has been rife with hardship essentially. And I hate to kind of put it in, have that story around it, but it's true. I mean, we had, we had a very difficult beginning. We were barely understood. We had little pockets of some support, but for the most part it was tough. And, um, and then we broke up. We were so like over it, you know, we felt so disconnected from the scene. And we realized we wanted to do other kinds of music and experiment. But then, you know, we came back and we realized, holy shit, like it's come a long way, especially by traced and air, thanks to other bands that kind of took, followed our lead and other bands as well, like an atheist and for and even like the Mashugas that kind of experimented, they kind of set a precedent, although I would say is very you know like sure that's some tough stuff you know but but yeah it got better and I remember people saying to me the scene's different now it's not what it used to be like and I was really scared actually to come back in it was to it was Kelly Shaver from Atheist calling me who was doing these reunion tours in like oh seven saying you got to get out there people care about cynic and I was like really <laughs> they care <laughs> And uh, so it was a series of synchronicities. And then we ended up, I kind of heated the echo, essentially, of these synchronicities and said, okay, I think I can do this again. And what I found was it was so in my DNA, this kind of music and this, it was part of my whole childhood up until early 20s. So it was like, it was so, you know, we started really young. So it was kind of already just integrated. So back when we, when we got back together, it was like, oh yeah, I, this, this is natural. You know, it was, but how do we, how do we push it further? How do we take it somewhere else? But it definitely felt like it was already in my biology, the, the, the understanding of that music. And, and I grew up, I mean, and I, and now more than ever, I connect with the metal scene and I understand, and I have, I see how many great artists there are and how expanded it is and how much interesting music is going on. And with the high degree of musicianship involved, it's incredible. Like it's, it's, an, it's a really intense genre. There's a lot of great musicians out there. And again, trying to, I, I keep saying genre, but it's like, you know, it's that umbrella, right? Cause it can be so many things and cynic is so many things. It's, it's pulling from all of that. So now I come back and I go, yeah, I have a metal head in my bones, you know, and I, <laughs> I'm proud of it. I'm actually really proud of and connected to that. And it's part of my history and, and part of who I am. So I, I identify with it in a cool way. You know, it's like, I've had to kind of go full circle. Yeah. So, so would you say maybe metal is
2: finally getting close to actually fulfilling the potential for like pure freedom that it kind of advertised back in the day?
1: I think so. I mean, I it so. was back then. I mean, people like I remember like David Vincent from Orbit Angel doing an interview back in the day saying we can do whatever we want. Mm. And that's the beauty of what we're doing. And I was like, that's right. You know, like <laughs> that's that's the whole idea is that we don't want to be put in a box. So I think the bands that were responsible for a kind of creating these sub genres within the metal community, which is like the cynics, the morbid angels, the, Mm -hmm. the deaths, the atheist, the mushuga, We were kind of all about that, the freedom Mm -hmm. in the space and being extremely original. Like we were trying to really do our own thing and not copy each other. And so it was, but now of course you have all these like sub versions of all that stuff. And once in a while, there's a fresh one that's like, Ooh, that's different. You know, that's a new hybrid, but a lot of it is still kind of these variations on a theme that have already happened. And, um, and it's really hard to make something new. You have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to push yourself out of your cocoon. You have to do things differently. You have to go with the unorthodox ideas. It's hard to do that. (laughs) It's hard to trust yourself. As, as a in any form of art really to kind of go where no one else is going and trust that it actually will find itself and find a language and so there's a lot of rebellion in that which is very appealing you know there's again it kind of connects to this whole se- uh idea of like rebellion and breaking the rules and pushing out of your safety hmm.
0: Well, you can definitely see a lot of those uh kind of experimental themes like embedded in your lyrics, which we do want to kind of unpack in a little bit more depth. I mean, you've mentioned several times your own experiences uh with uh you know spirituality, experimentation with psychedelics, um, you know, you doing meditation. Um, and you've also mentioned, you know, your um Indian influences, not just in terms of your attire, but you can see that in your lyrics as well. Like if you look at the lyrics in focus. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, presence of concepts of Indic and Vedic uh, spiritualities, uh, you, you know, with the veil of Maya, you know, being the most obvious um, you know, example, the song's title being a reference to Indian philosophies regarding Maya, uh, which blocks perception of the true nature of things. Uh, and including reference to ahamkara, um, or the identification of the self uh, with impermanent things. Um, The album also references celestial voyages, cosmic mothers, and the concept of a cosmic sea and a world egg. Um, So what inspired, um, you know, your repeated focus on these particular ideas and philosophies?
1: Well, back in the focus days, I was really kind of Deep into Hinduism and the Bhagavad Gita and all the books of the Gita and the Mahabharata. And I was like, I was just deep into all that stuff. And so I was really pulling from it. You know, I was pulling from like those sources as inspiration and practicing those practices. And I think by, I think it was the early, late 90s that I got exposed to Buddhism. And that's when it shifted for me. And I, got into a kind of a different trajectory in terms of a spiritual practice. But I think a lot of it was rooted in this combo platter of, of, you know, meditation. Like, I mean, I think about almost every record, there's a song about a guided meditation that I will, I have created for myself, you know, some journey into the mind and there's a whole world. And so there's like all these practices that represent aspects of, of, purification, essentially, how to kind of cleanse yourself, you know, or how to, how to reach kind of higher states of consciousness. And so there was that stuff at work and it's kind of, there's so much really, it's, it's all like a big pool of, of this stuff. I mean, I think if you go each record by, by Trace Denaire, which was, you know, it's 2007, 2008, I was more, it's very Buddhist and also like, you know, kind of threaded with this, a lot of impermanence and, you know, like those kinds of Buddhist ideas, but kind of cloaked in the story of an extraterrestrial. <laughs> you know, <it> like, <laughs> so there's like all these kind of, it's, there's always this like sub conceptual thing going on that, sometimes I don't really even understand what it is till later. And that happens with a lot of cynics music where I, so much of it is just, you're showing up for a process. So you're kind of used, you know, you're just like a vessel for some information. And then it's not till later after the record's done or years later that I go back and go, Oh, that's what that's about. I (laughs) thought it was about this, but do you what I mean? It's almost Mm -hmm. so impersonal at the same time. If you think it, it's like, I, that's why I'm so careful to talk about very specifically w- what a song is about. Cause I, sometimes I don't even know. I feel like I'm just more, again, a being an observer and taking note of some experience or a state of consciousness and then trying to document it. And a lot of times the lyrics are just going hand in hand with the music they're It's not like cynic has never been like singer, you know, and then the mm-hmm. riffs, it's like the vocals are kind of embedded in the music so it's all like this one everything's kind of informing the other so there it's not trying to be this overlay on the music it's kind of all connected and a lot of times the, the the lyrics are referencing what's going on in the music in terms of trying to kind of merge that environment so they feel very seamless
2: well, speaking of this kind of reflection on, on themes that comes later, uh, when we were looking at uh, the lyrics on your first album, we did notice that there's a large number of references to water, liquids, and related items. Like you discussed people thirsting, there's the molten liquid of penance, calmless in a mental lake. Rafts and boats and canoes, rivers, streams, and goblets all appear. There's a song title, I'm But a Wave To, uh, Truth's Modest Waters. And then perhaps the most watery of the lines is, my raft filled with the, uh, delusive wastewater shall be drained by holes of wisdom, a celestial voyage to reach the shores and bathe in pools of divine nectar off the song Celestial Voyage. Uh, thinking now, what was kind of the purpose of all of these liquid and water metaphors running throughout this uh, release?
1: Probably just growing up. By the ocean, <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in in Miami and uh, in Miami, Florida, and we were always on the water. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: so it was always it was part of my childhood, be it you know the, either the Atlantic Ocean or like canals and canoes and boats. And so I was a water person. I still am to a degree, although I connect with deserts and mountains and other spaces, I've found that definitely water is a real thing for me. And it always kind of grounds me in an interesting way. So I, that's probably a big part of it. And I, I think though, there is this thing with the ocean. It, I mean, I ask the ocean for help. I see it as this like enormous entity that's like at my disposal and I'm connected to. And so I feel very like it's very, uh, it's like a, it holds a space for me that's very therapeutic. Mm-hmm.
0: If we compare the lyrics of Focus to uh, Traced in Air, there are three major differences um, that we wanted to kind of unpack and talk about a little bit because they're quite interesting and curious. So right from the start, Focus features uh, a large amount of rhyme. Um, so the first lines of Veil vale of Maya begin with, in Maya's grip, illusion transforms Verity, perceiving thus a delusive world of duality uh, with six running couplets across the song. While some tracks like Celestial Voyage have no rhyme, um, it's pretty common across the album still uh, with the eagle nature beginning with uh, learning Discerning uh, or the couplet uh, Freedom and Reason Shine Through, Paddle Upon the Clouds, um, One Zone Canoe uh, on How Could I. Uh, in contrast, the first song um, on Traced in Air uh, has just one rhyme, so Traced in Air, Captain's Chair. Uh, and we counted only two other rhymes on the album, um, so never more than one per song it seems. Uh, can you think, you know, of anything that might have caused um, this pull away from the rhyming structure?
1: Hmm, that's interesting. I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> Game the um, surprise. Yeah, uh, it's like when I, you know, like again, I, I think about the process of coming to a song and how it can be really messy, right? It's like notebooks of pulling from a pool of ideas and going through layers and layers of writing and rewriting and trying to get to the essence of something, trying to kind of figure out what the root of this song is. and and so much of it is just getting out of one's own way. It's like it's so much, it's not an intellectual process. So when you say rhyming or not rhyming, it's like, I, I don't even think about that. I'm just thinking about how do I convey something that, captures the space to say what this song needs, you know, and yeah. to do it in the most authentic way possible. Like, I mean, it's, it's, again, these are like, it's like, I'm st- you're getting me in a place where I'm trying to intellectualize it. And mm-hmm. I, I don't do that when I'm in the process, I'm very much in this like almost abstract kind of flow state, right. Where you're just trying to kind of make a piece of art that feels authentic and genuine and real so i don't really i i never even thought about that with tracer that's really interesting that it's not rhymy um but now thinking about songs i can yeah i can i can i can think of, i'm thinking of lyrics i'm like oh yeah there's not a whole lot going on there um i like rhymes <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing against rhymes you know okay yeah um rhymes are cool it's i think again it's just kind of (laughs) just the it's whatever this thing needs (laughs) right it's like i'm not sure where where that comes from in terms of other than just trying to again capture something that feels right at that time and And how much I have to do with that, I'm not sure actually. (laughs) This next question might get a similar answer, then, but just we'll, we'll pop it out there just
2: in case. If we're over intellectualizing, you know, just, just let us know. Yeah. But another thing that we noticed that was quite different is that um, the use of language on focus feels a bit different in the terms of the, the number of large multisyllabic sequences. Uh, like focus has words like ruboric uh, and large multisyllabic sequences like unconditional omnipotence or unfocused consciousness. And there's also like the use of some kind of ye olde language, like the use of thy instead of uh, your. In contrast, uh, the only word more than two syllables long on the song, the space for this, is disassembling. And you have lines like, I touch the string through the harp, uh, though the harp may not sing. Still, I dig the sky for the sun's sparks to guide, which are pretty much entirely monosyllabic. Did something potentially happen that kind of moved you away from these larger words towards uh, kind of the more one like shorter syllable, I guess, commonplace vocabulary?
1: I guess maybe like getting better at writing more condensed songs and I think the the in Air, I was better at arrangement the art of arrangement I feel like um I had been spent years with my other group Eon Spoke and just kind of after Focus really I went into this like return to childhood trying to write like simple folk songs because I found that to be really challenging so I was really trying to kind of Strip things back. And I think that kind of lent itself to Trace Air, where it was more kind of just pure and simple, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I guess like it, it kind of makes sense in the way that when I think of the arrangements of Trace Air, there was like it was one of those albums where it's incredibly dense, yet it's really short still. And that's like a real trick that I've been interested in that you know, musicians can do, they can write these songs that when you listen to it, it feels really like so much just happened. And then you look and it was like three and a half minutes. (laughs) Yeah. And that's not common in especially like Prague and progressive music, which tends to have these extended elaborate sections and long guitar solos and breakdowns. And so it was like the, I was interested in like making it really tight and keeping it very compact and just like direct and stuff. So I think a lot of like, they're just, they call it trimming the fat, you know, Mm -hmm. in an arrangement, like you're just taking out any excess and just trying to distill this work to like its root. And it's so funny because a lot of people that aren't in progressive music will hear a record like that and just think it's this crazy layered, insane work. But to some band like us, it was like, wow, this is so much more simple and, you know, like direct and, then then, for example, if you go further along, like Ascension codes, which has it's so dense, you know, it's like a whole like there's just a lot going on there, so, yeah, I think that might be what it is is coming out of the eon spoke stuff and the kind of songwriting I was in into and just being really bare bones, it kind of trickled into the lyrical approach, maybe to a degree in terms of the how it broke down, I guess, syllabically and stuff.
0: Hmm. Well, other um, lyricists that we've spoken to have had a similar kind of long career, um, have said that, you know, if they have tended to use more kind of multi-slided complex vocabulary in their earlier years, then their later years they shifted towards kind of quote unquote simpler language because, um, they felt that their initial use of that kind of more complex vocabulary was more brought forth through like pressure to make, you know, quote unquote good song lyrics than because, you know, they really needed to be using that kind of language. And so, you know, especially people like Freddie Lim, for instance, who, who said that like, you know, back in the 90s when he was first writing songs for Sonic and stuff, he felt that he had to have these really highbrow lyrics and so used quite, you know, obscure, um, you know, technical vocabulary, but then, you know, when he got older and as he says, like, you know, more mature, he kind of realized he doesn't really need to do that to make things sound profound and interesting. Do you kind of resonate with that at all? Or is that not really a consideration for you through your development?
1: Totally. I I can relate to that. Like it feels like we're all trying to distill and distill and get simpler and simpler Hmm. and reduce it to like, how do you get to this root thing and it's it's a real complex environment for a band like cynic cuz it's inherently layered and in progressive music so it's like how do you get it more bare bones more bare bones but also keep that interest that is so part of you know kind of in our in my biology to kind of keep it layered and textural and but um yeah i think also now realizing like with trace dinair all those songs started on acoustic guitar so I was actually singing and playing them like in a singer songwritery way before they got transferred to like a cynic arrangement and I think that's part of it as to where focus I was on a keyboard writing vocoder parts you know (laughs) like Mm. it was different it was more of like thinking like an instrument and also and then the growls as to where traced was more just like it was just a more simplistic approach to melody. So that probably is part of it too, is like coming from that songwriter approach with the roots of the songs and and what was coming out of my, like I was writing melodies based on what I was hearing and singing with the guitar rather than like sitting at a keyboard and figuring out unorthodox things, right? So, Mm. So I think that's part of it too, is the kind of the functionality of how the songs were written focus was a lot of four guys in a room yelling at each other. (laughs) My riff, my riff, my part. Mm. And and I remember I was always like, man, like we have to be in service to the song, fuck your part. You know, like, (laughs) like let's go, let's think about the arrangement. Like what's, what does this song need? Like who cares about you? You know, like, let's just what it's not, it's about like that. And I think that was, a really interesting transitional space for us as young musicians to get out of ego because we had some brevity as young aspiring musicians with some skill and technique we want to show off what we got you know and you're just like so you kind of want to really prove yourself and it was that balance of like no there's nothing to prove like just less is more. So it, it's, and this is, you know, I think time really teaches one that as an artist that when you do develop a certain degree of skill, how do you, how do you do say all that with less? It's really, that's, that's the ultimate challenge really, you know, and um, cause you can say it all with less. It's just, and oftentimes it translates better. It communicates more because it's not as, um, it just depends. It depends on what you're going for. <laughs> you know, I, again, I'm not mm-hmm. making it good or bad, but I do mm-hmm. feel like there is that thing of, especially early twenties where we were just like, oh, we can shred, you know, let's prove ourselves. <laughs> like, but That's not, that's like, wait, that's not what makes a song great. That's not interesting. And you think of all those albums with endless shredding and how they're just, no one cares about them anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think about I'm glad we got into that space around focus because I don't know that people would care about focus 30 years later, had we not been thinking about reining in an arrangement to a degree and being thinking about the essence of the song rather than just wanking on our <laughs> instrument, you know, <laughs> but, it, but it, there is, it's funny. Like I think for a straightforward straight ahead metal person mm. that grew up listening to just like, Metallica and variations of, of more straightforward metal, Cynic is still this weird outside the box band that sounds really busy, really complex. Like it's a, there's a learning curve to kind of hearing a Cynic song and and to me and to us, it was like the catchiest thing ever. It's like, it's so accessible, but <laughs> we're used to this stuff We're you know, we're in it. It's like, we have no perspective. So, and we've been living in these arrangements in this music for so long that it becomes really familiar. So I always tell that to like a new person that's hearing our music. I just say, listen to it. keep listening. There's a, there's a curve. It's like, once you get it, you'll get it. But it, it might not be that it's not that familiar at first because the reference points aren't the same. We're not playing that thing that you know. You know, you have to kind of get into the language of cynic, which is its own weird hybrid.
2: Hmm. So speaking of this concept of like, Changing perspectives on the ego, uh, the last kind of difference we noted between uh, the first two albums is that on Focus, um, there are 20 uses of We, but split across only three of the seven tracks that have lyrics, sorry, 20 uses of I, and six uses of We. In contrast, Trace in Air features 37 uses of I and 25 uses of we, with every song having at least one of these words, so uh, quite an increase. Do you know what might have inspired the increased use of the first and especially the collective perspective between the two albums?
1: Hmm. So there was more uses of we on focus, you're saying?
2: Uh, no, focus had 20 eyes and six we's. Trace than air had 20 uh, 37 eyes and 25 Wii's. So almost like uh three oh. to four times more on trace than air.
1: Maybe that's the a sign of spiritual progress. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean it's funny, it's like we're always writing about ourselves to a degree, they'll say. So like every, every song you're writing is some aspect of, of your own experience, right? But I think also having done so much uh, work with psychedelics and also you know deeper meditation practice, it starts to, you start to like realize how everything's connected. You start to see the greater whole and start to see reality more as interconnected rather than like fragmented as an individual and a separate self. So maybe that's why I'm saying like, maybe there is some degree of progress there in that seeing things as us and we, rather than I, um, -hmm. I love that. Like, I think in South Africa, they'll answer questions. Like if you ask, how are you doing? They'll be like, we're doing well. Hmm. And when you say we, you're speaking for the people around you your family your friends you're always referencing your life from a collective perspective which i think is extremely evolved you know to speak from the we because it it's a reminder that we're all together that we're all in this and and you know if you look at the root of depression and the root of all that stuff that i know very well it was generally rooted in an i complex you know, me, m- m- my little world, my problems, my stuff. And the practice, especially like, for example, in Buddhism, is that you use that as an opportunity to realize when you feel the heaviness of, of depression and sadness, use it as an opportunity to realize that you're not alone. That actually, this is what a lot of people feel and that we're all kind of in the same boat. So it's a way of getting out of your stuff, getting out of your story and connecting with the greater whole, which is the essential, the true nature of reality is that we aren't separate on a quantum level. We are all one, we are like molecularly just like one organism. So it's interesting to kind of deconstruct things. And I think psychedelics help you see that very quickly because you kind of, you you have to kind of, the ego gets annihilated, you know? a mm-hmm. couple cups of strong ayahuasca and there's no... <laughs> I mean, and LSD, which I was involved in at a young age. But it's interesting. I mean, it really blows you open. There's like, who am I? And I think people who go on bad trips are holding on, you know, because they identify with themselves so much, they don't know how to let go. But if you can just kind of dissolve into the, there's no one here, then you you relax into that. It's very similar. It's a parallel state to what's happened in advanced meditation states and stuff where you start to see things as they are, which is there's no more self. It's all kind of happening and isness, And you know what I mean? This kind of non-dual perspective, which I really connect with. Mm. So maybe it's gone further into that. I'd like to think. I wonder how many we's and eyes are in Ascension Ghosts. Did you guys? That? Yes, we, we, that, that, that's coming. Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Before we get to that, though, um, we did want to talk about kind of uh, one source of continuity, I suppose, uh, between focus and tracing is uh, in references to Vedic ideas and phrases uh, such as Om Shrim Maha La- uh, Lakshmi Shwama Om uh, of The Unknown Guest, which is a mantra to Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth. Um, but you also have your first uses of Latin uh, on tracing uh in the pair uh, Nunc Fluence uh, and nunk Stance. Uh, Flowing Now, Abiding Now, which respectively open and close the album. Uh, So we were wondering what inspired um, this uh, stretching beyond English and drawing on other non-English languages?
1: You know, I think I was like, I can't, I think the Om Shri Maha Lakshmi Yeswaha Om was like, certain yoga teacher friends were doing it at the end of their classes, like a certain prayer, Um, and... I like was just trying to pay my rent that month. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, this makes sense in this song, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was something like that. There was a direct reference point to like, holy shit, I'm tight right now. I don't have money. <laughs> and maybe I did I expect this answer. This mantra, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so it was, there was a, it was like, a, like, cause I think there's like penny lists in the lyrics. There's like, mm-hmm you know, that's like the second verse or something in reverse. And then I do a reverse scale. I don't know if you noticed that, but there's like very literal things where this, the music is completely referencing what the words are saying. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there was some of that, you know, it was like using kind of the power of these charged mantric words, these geishas, these seed sounds that um, if you, if you say them wholeheartedly and mean them, you know they apparently work and so well, i think there was some of that going on and there was also this like because i'm beginning to think of a certain friend who i was doing a lot of yoga with who was doing an, a like a lakshmi kind of prayer at the end of the class and i was like i so i must have like nib you know like nabbed that i was like oh yeah that mm-hmm. like i'm tight financially and and it's like <laughs> things but it's funny the unknown guess for me i remember i actually that whole arrangement happened to me walking. Like I literally figured out the whole song walking around LA. (laughs) Like I was like, it was a whole thing where I had to kind of, it was like a puzzle, you know, and it suddenly like I got it. And then I got back home, grabbed my guitar and I was like, there, there it is. You know? So it's like one of those tunes that happened as a result of being away from the instrument. Um, and uh, so, and what was the other song you we were mentioning? Um, well, just the use of Latin. Like, I mean, yeah, broadly oh, speaking, oh, you yeah. kind of open this
2: question up. No, no album that you've made has been completely in English. Like every single album has some instance of a non-English language in there. Is mm-hmm. there any broad intentionality towards branching out of English in your music? Is there like a meaning behind not focusing on, on one language?
1: I mean, I'm curious about these things. And I think it just comes natural to, to kind of explore that stuff, especially in the realm of lyric writing, because it's essentially sounds we're making with these words. So how can I kind of utter new sounds using these different languages, right? It's kind of like, to me, it's all like variations on like, same way that you can do interesting bends and scales as a musician with your guitar or an instrument so why not explore that lyrically right so kind of because the essence is still there it's just kind of so i I think i'm just curious about that stuff you know it um it speaks to me i mean i actually have a friend i was talking about doing a collab with a record with uh, where I was just going to do all just like kind of light languagey type sounds, which is a lot of what's on Ascension codes. I was like, I just want to do a light language record. <laughs> you know, that's just that those yeah. essences because they feel so pure. I don't mm-hmm. know how to put it, but there's something really pure about them. Um, and, you know, it's like, you think about like a Sigur R- Rose Ross or something, Sigur Rose that who just like was making these sounds. Right. And, and you can even look at the first, obituary record tardy wasn't singing lyrics (laughs) he was just making sounds and um so it's kind of like you're evoking a feeling rather than and it's almost the same thing at that point right
0: Mm. yeah well, how about, like, you know, drawing like, particular, like, forms and phrases and stuff from different languages that are also connected to a particular kind of spiritual orientations? Because if you look at, like, stance the Latin phrase we've mentioned earlier, like, that's apparently a term in Christianity. Um, as Augustine and Aquinas like use the term um, to place God outside of time. Um, like, are you like I suppose when you're kind of selecting forms from languages other than English, are you kind of cognizant of like their connection to uh, these kind of religious observances?
1: To a degree, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, the nuke fluence nuke stands thing. I think has that Latin root, right? And it's mm. passing present into the eternal present or something like that it's like I think there's that some there's some sentence that breaks it down and I actually just like the shape of those words like how they just mm. look down it was just had this like symmetry to it and it just felt like oh there's the book ends you know and it was like and we knew we had this like introduction to the record that was the thing with influences is that it holds the whole record in it it's like all of those that whole like wall of sound that's happening in the beginning of that song of that album is actually taken from everything in the album itself so there's clips and moments from the entire album that are kind of layered into that wall Mm -hmm. so it was just kind of like here's the whole record in this weird little intro piece and now we break it down and then the end was kind of the distillation of just this very kind of very, it was really about impermanence, right? Nuke stands It's just like the nature of all things ending. Mm. And so it felt like at least in this realm, right? Cause it's like mm-hmm. things really end. Right. So, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I do my research and I geek out and like write about trying to understand the roots of all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I think it's more about a feeling space and what it captures as an essence rather than being too literal. Mm. So... To move now to
2: um, Kindly Bent to Free Us, uh, we're, here's the pronoun question that uh, you were asking about. <laughs> um, so Kindly Bent to Free Us continues the use of I. There are 37 I's on Kindly Bent. Uh, but there's much less we. We're down to just four. And there's a sudden influx of you. So across both your first two albums, there are 13 uses of you in total. In contrast, on Kindly Bent, there are 21 uses of you in that album alone. What might have brought this change towards a focus on the second person perspective and a dropping of we?
1: Hmm. Wow. These are tricky questions. (laughs) (laughs) You guys really broke it down. Um, Kindly, for me, I'm trying to think of like the time and place of Kindly. So I had, you know, we did Carbon-Based Anatomy. Sean and I had moved into a house together, my drummer. And we were kind of both in this major transition. I had come out of what was my longest intimate relationship, you know, intimate relationship, like a singular with one partner. I have lots of intimate relationships, but that one where I was with one person and then Sean had come out of one and we moved into a house together. It was the first time we had lived together in like a decade or something. And it was kind of like us trying to take care of each other Mm -hmm. And I remember he had a lot of hardship before he moved in with me, like his credit was destroyed and like, you know, just a lot of stuff was going on for him and for me, but I was really showing up for a friend. I was really trying to kind of, and it became this thing where it was like, I think the record kind of got, it was all about stripping things back and trying to kind of get very raw and like we had, you know, Malone, it was just the three of us and we had this very raw trio kind of feeling. So we went very like, almost like a demo. It felt like a demo, you know, it was like trying to break the rules. Like I was, I remember like I was thinking, I'm not going to play riffs that are characteristically cynic. I was trying to like, I think there's like maybe one song that has a cynicky riff, but the rest is like, a whole new approach so I was really trying to kind of deconstruct and get out of my these boxes you know because Trace air already kind of still had the focus language but took it somewhere else and then so Kindly was about dismantling all of that and in a very punk way and and so the lyrics I think also kind of held that it was just like i'm trying to think of like yeah i mean i think of lion's roar i think of uh true hallucination speak you know you better get a friend to help you you know it's Mm -hmm. like all these lyrics are it's like there's a lot of that like speaking about trying to yeah i mean i'm like i'm i'm thinking about each song like i go through each of the tunes and there's definitely like a lot of that, like an external kind of thing of reaching out. And um, and I was also coming off of actually, cause carbon-based anatomy, I was doing a lot of like, I had done a lot of intense work with the terminally ill and I had gone like, you know, carbon, I mean, and then kindly kind of went into this whole like thing where we were, yeah, it was just a distillation. so. I don't know. I mean, again, it's like, it's almost like reflective of of life and where we were and what was happening. And at the same time, just like, again, trying to like, I think about like the the cover of Kindly Bent was this Venosa painting. It was called Atomic Blossom, which kind of represented the mind, you know, it's like a big brain, but also a nuclear explosion, but also a tree. And so it was like, there was a lot of mind stuff on the record, infinite shapes, you know, these like ideas of how the mind can play tricks on you and you can't trust your thoughts. So there was all that stuff. So I was almost like observing other or something, you know, like, like who are you? What are, what is <laughs> you, you know? So, so, I mean, there's, I think if we broke down each song, cause I know the record had this kind of beginning, middle and end for me, but there was, like for example, Gitanjali, you know, Gitanjali was inspired by, I found this book of poetry by this young Indian girl who died of cancer. She was almost like an Emily Dickinson in that she wrote them all and they found them all after kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, she, and she was given the name, you know, uh, what was her name? I think her name was Gitanjali. And she which was like a Rabindrath Tagore poem or something like the, one of the great Indian poets. So she had this weird like association with like an incarnation of a great Indian poet. And she literally came onto this earth. She wrote all this, this incredible book of poetry. And then she split, you know, she died, I think in her teens, maybe, or she was younger. Mm -hmm. So there was like moments like that, where I was pulling from different things and inspired by different people's stories and lives. So I don't know that I can literally say why, (laughs) you know, when you ask that. Mm -hmm. Other than that, there's, I I just have to start thinking about songs and how they relate to what you're saying.
0: Did they ever like, were you ever kind of reaching out for or addressing a particular person? Like when you say things in your lyrics, like, uh, don't you worry now, goodbye to all of you, uh, from your throat, you sing to me your secrets, Uh, you've got to make amends with the truth or behold what you're afraid to see like, is there a specific individual you have in mind in those instances?
1: I think, again, it's like, we're always speaking to ourselves to a degree, right? It's like, these are all Hmm. prayers to the self. But yes, I, you know, a lot of times it gets externalized, it's easier to put it on someone else, because sometimes it's too difficult to look in the mirror at that stuff, right? So I think, yeah, probably there was a direct relationship to someone else in the sense, as I was writing it, maybe. But ultimately, now hearing you say those things, I'm like, oh, my God, that was all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? It was like all stuff I was in. And at the same time, it's like, you know, I, it's interesting. I think I, I was raised by therapists. You know, my mother put me in therapy at a very young age so I was put in these rooms with people asking me questions since I was like fucking eight, you know, Mm -hmm. and taking Rorschach tests and all this stuff. And I found, I was always like, who the hell, like, what is this? Like, what is this whole, you know, what are we doing? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) like I, and I, I eventually like, I think I got to the point where I was like, oh, wait a second. Like, this is my journey. Like, I can't blame others. It's not their fault. It's not you know. It's like you start to take responsibility for your life, and you start mm-hmm. to realize your mind is at the root of all of this, right? So it was a liber- liberating place to access to realize that it was like it has nothing to do with them. Like it's how I perceive. It's my. It's how I meet this stuff. That's the real thing at work, right? So it was. I think that kind of that's always at play, and 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 all this stuff. It's like this objective thing that's observing, but at the same time, like dealing with some immediate sense of what's going on in one's life. And, and again, it's this, it's a tricky environment as a kid that was raised in this psychological environment, because I, I could play with that. I was never caught up. I could be the observer and at the same time, step into it and it was like, that's why, like, when I would take psychedelics, I was like home. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, this is this is how things work. <laughs> you know, it never felt disoriented, mm-hmm. you know, to be to take a lot of psychedelics. It always felt very familiar to me. And I think it's very similar to the states of mind that we access when we look inward deep enough. You know, it's all the same. They all these places merge. Am I making sense? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So, um. W- Our last question for a while kindly went to free us is uh, related to some of the thematic overlaps, uh, sorry, thematic choices, because there are some overlaps with references like liquids, as in uh, trapped in ice or keep swimming. But there's a large increase in references to uh, animals. You discuss lions, DNA, fossils, evolution, goose eggs, self-transcending simians, a tentacle growing limb-like legs, paper tigers, embryonic wisdom, melting cocoons. And most direct is perhaps the line animals or something invented by plants to move seeds around from the lion's roar. Uh, how did this focus come about why discuss living creatures now instead of kind of the broader natural or interstellar phenomenon that dominated the uh, prior releases
1: well let me let me say that quote the animals are something invented by plants to move seeds around is terence mckenna Mm -hmm. and um, he wrote a book called food of the gods among other books and he's like the original psychonaut i mean there's other people but he's like the, the great master that a lot of us adhere to and I saw him speak in high school actually. And um, he blew my mind open. You know, he was just one of these people that just was, everything was like a metaphor and a poem and it was genius. And he had, so I, now you're reminding me like, and I was living with a dog at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I mean, I've always been an animal person and, I've been vegetarian since 1989. I've been vegan for 20 years, you know. Um, So I feel connected to animals. And it's interesting that it took that long to bring them into the lyrics in a sense, because I feel very protective of animals. I feel like it's our duty to not exploit them. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where, and I'm not like a militant, vegan i don't judge but i do think it's like it's the the fact that they're that we can dominate them is why we have to protect them it's Mm. you know like we should not be exploiting something we we can dominate we it's our duty to to protect these things not you know so and that's a very logical idea to me it's like of course like why would you but um you know of course we have all these new layers of of you know, how that point of view is brought out with plants and plants having a consciousness and all that. But I think the view with a lot of this stuff, and it's rooted in a lot of old spiritual traditions is sentient creatures, creatures that have a nervous system that actually feel pain. But then again, plants may feel it on some subtle level that we can't detect because they're vibrating at such a slow frequency. Like Mm. you think, trees you know i I mean there was a guy named luther burbank that said trees are like they feel more than humans but it's so slow that you don't even realize how sensitive they are which is incredible you know that's why i'm like okay so i guess we shouldn't eat anything i mean (laughs) what's that that called us uh where they get you know there was actually stories of yogis and there's some few people alive that are still practicing and they they extract energy and food from the sun and they can actually turn it into food like is,
2: photosynthesis kind of thing
1: it's like you're literally like a plant person that can kind of extract from the sun and make it like where you're healthy and there's people they i don't know what's i can't remember the name of it but it's pretty cool like um <laughs> i mean i feel like there's probably some weird futuristic et race that already does that they're just like extracting from the air you know what i mean it's um like they figured out how to extract water from the air, which could like solve, you know, all the stuff that's going on with, with water, you know, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I think the animal stuff, maybe it was just like, I want to say, Oh, I was living with a dog, you know, me and my boyfriend at the time had this adorable, uh, Australian shepherd dog named cookie. And, um, and it was, she was so sweet. And it was kind of part of my life. But I always had cats before that and other dogs. And so I but I don't know. I think again, it's like maybe there was this earthiness about Kindly us in relationship to the tree mm-hmm. and the cover image. And it was like kind of an earth record <laughs> in a way. It was like grounded, you know, and earth related. And so I think a lot of the themes were born out of that earth creatures earth experiences earth mind uh very human in a sense
0: mm. Well, then, sticking towards your more, uh, your most recent album, so 2021's Ascension uh, Codes that we were talking about earlier, there's a large number of tracks uh, with no lyrics at all. So you basically go on as, um, you know, bare bones as possible, as we were saying earlier. Um, or, you know, at the most, there's, like, one line of lyrics. Um, so what inspired the the approach is just an extension of what we were talking about earlier, like, you know, wanting to uh, kind of, like, simplify things down as much as possible.
1: Yeah, I I feel Ascension Codes was really coming out of, it was a record that had been a work in progress essentially since 2015. Right after Kindly Bent, those ideas were already gestating. Some of those lyrics were gestating. And then things happened. Life happened, split with my drummer. The two guys die in 2020. A lot of life happened and... Mm-hmm. I think I was also, and I still am, but deeply interested and obsessed with extraterrestrial stuff. I mean, just like completely immersed in that world. And, and I've gotten, I got really into deep into all the facets of that world. And there's a, a lady named Anrita Melchizedek who I love. She's actually South African and she does these beautiful meditations and She's a channeler of like a whole legion of extraterrestrials. And she's the person that's opens and closes the record. So it's her voice, like speaking this light language stuff, which I was, and I still am kind of obsessed with that space, which is communicating this sense of ease and openness and wisdom, but without using human words, it's mm-hmm. like a energy. And um, so that kind of, I think it was me reaching for something that was more it was like what's the most i I'll tell you what it is i do these meditation practices and i got really into attachment theory practices and there's certain deity practices in tibetan buddhism where you envision like for example an advanced being or a buddha in front of you and you embody their characteristics. So their, their characteristics will kind of come out of their head or however you want to see it coming into your head. And I had, you know, all these practices I've been doing with basically groups of extraterrestrials that will be in front of me, like a family of them that are feeding me and giving me a sense of like relief and ease and courage to move forward in my life. It's like these spiritual practices to kind of be in the world. And, Mm. and it's, again, it's almost like you're putting this thing in front of you and then embodying it. So it's a way it's like a trick that you play with your mind to, in order to kind of move through experience. And, and, but what's interesting is that they work and, and I don't know what's real or what isn't in that sense. Other than that, that's what I've been practicing for a long time. And Ascension codes really embodies that essence of like being in a a relationship with an extraterrestrial family as, and you could say it's a coping mechanism, but it's, it's a, it's actually a very courageous approach to reality for me, because I'm not hiding behind anything. They're, I'm, they're feeding me, but it's essentially me feeding myself. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm using this like connection to these beings as a way to kind of move forward in my life. And I had to pick up the pieces from, the most incredible hardship I'd ever been in. I lost two lifelong friends and in the most tragic of circumstances. And so it was like a real watershed for me, that whole situation. And these were my bookends to 2020. You'd look at 2020 collectively as a species and then you look at like, and I'm not to say my 2020, but for Mm -hmm. me it was beyond what was happening collectively, which was incredible. And I was so empathetic to, the suffering everyone was experiencing collectively or whatever the PSYOP that appeared as, but also I was experiencing my own direct trauma of losing these people in my life. And I had never known grief on that level. I've lost friends. I've lost acquaintances. I've lost family members, but this was like people I forged my identity with and made art with, and really had never been more naked and raw and real with like we we were completely one organism for so many years. So when that all kind of went down, I was in the middle of this record and I literally was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. And I really went to this. And this is interesting that you're asking because I'm realizing now it was those practices that kind of pulled me out of it and gave me the courage to kind of move forward and finish this record. And so it was very much informed by these beings these extraterrestrials that I still see. Like, I mean, I still am so connected to them and I still do these practices every day. Mm. So it's, um, it's kind of where I'm at right now <laughs> in terms of how I'm connecting with art and how it appears to me. Um, so that record became very much fueled by this space, which wasn't necessarily words. It was mm. an energy and a frequency And that frequency is beyond words. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like its own realm of space that was just trying to, and I also realized music can say so much, right? Like, I mean, instrumental music captures phrases and a lot of cynics music where there aren't words, there's a a melody adding a sentence. Do you know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. a musical sentence. So there's a lot of that interplay going on on ascension codes where, the music is taking the place of the, all the words, all the singing, you know, and just kind of acting more subtle and subdued and mysterious. Like it's more of an energy. Mm. So
2: given um, the sort of unique experiences and unique situation that was centered around this album, Uh, We want to ask our final question about pronouns uh, and that this album only has four uses of you, which drops the kind of focus on the second person that was taken on Kindly Bent. Does this relate to the stories you've told us so far or do you know why you might've shied away from from the you perspective?
1: Mm. That's interesting. No, I've never thought about it that way. I don't ever think of the yous or the i's. I mean, again, it's like, from a non-dual perspective, there is no, it's all, it's all one and all, like it's all, they're all reflections of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you is I, I is you, we are one <laughs> kind of, it's all kind of a big pool of isness and depending on the context of the song, it could just be a matter of what was more syllabic or made more sense in terms of the context. Um, but there are songs that felt more "we" in terms of trying to speak more in a collective sense. But yeah, I don't really know about being deliberate about that in terms of thinking very specifically. It's again, it's more of a feeling space and just going with what that sensation evokes in the context of this arrangement of this music, of this art, you know, cause they're all like merging into one organism it's trying to kind of make it as seamless as possible so I don't really know if I can kind of break it down in that way like it's so interesting because you guys are getting me to try and intellectualize something that I I've never really I don't do that with it do you what I mean like I don't think about things Mm. in literal ways it's more of a, a space that I'm inhabiting and then it's just like what feels the most accurate to kind of to capture that space so but now you got me thinking and I would love to kind of get your, your feedback. I mean, your report your notes. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I'm curious to go look at the songs and be like, why did I do that? Maybe I shouldn't, it might drive me crazy, but there's a part of me. It's really curious because from a psychological perspective, there's a lot there perhaps, mm. you know, it's like, there's something going on <laughs> that's interesting. Right. Or not, but.
2: Well, you never know. Like I, I was, I was not expecting, you know, um, I had rent to pay, as an answer to any of these, so it, it's it's interesting to go to. We 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 approach the questions as if there is some kind of hidden meaning just in the fact that that produces an interesting answer. But you know, just cause or I wasn't thinking about it is, is fine. You know, we not everything yeah. is intentional, but uh,
1: yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, I I interviewed a, a interview today. I did an interview like by email, for a magazine from Latin America, and they said, you know, what's the meaning behind you coming back and making ascension codes, and of course, my first response was, does there need to be meaning to mm. make art? Like we just make it. We don't, I, I love music. I love making music. I love, um, I love the process of making things. So it doesn't have to have a purpose. It's just, I do it because that's what I do. It's like, there is no goal. It's just a way of existing in the world and mm. often." something, you know, it's like, this is my offering, right? So it's a way of being rather than like thinking, oh, I'm doing this because I'm trying to change something or make a difference. And no, I'm just showing up for a process. Like, I I don't have a lot of skills. This is the, (laughs) this is one of the few I got. So I'm just trying to show up for it. You know, I'm like, now I'm like, oh yeah, I make jewelry too, which is kind of fun. But it's like, you know, I don't really, I feel like it's just about a sheer love of music mm. without it having to go anywhere or mean anything. And isn't that enough, you know, to just make something because, because it's, it feels right. I yeah. mean, I think so. I mean, that for me is how it feels, but sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> So right, we only have one more question where we're going to try to find intentionality. So uh, we'll, you know, again, if, if it's <laughs> yeah. just cause, uh, we're we're getting right to the the end to wrap things up here. But we want to talk about one absence in your lyrics, which is swearing. Um, if there's not a single swear word on any of your releases, except if we go way, way back to your first demos, you have the line, these answers keep fucking with me from 1990 and attempts to tell us about their gimmick is so damn absurd from 1989's Reflections of a Dying World. Uh, you've mm-hmm. sworn during this interview, which is fine. Uh, this is, you know, uh, not a podcast chi- for children, but, <laughs> uh, you know, there, there is this kind of absence, except for those demos of any kind of swearing, even way back when you were, you know, uh, touring with cannibal corpse etc who are uh known for at least a few uh you know (laughs) swear words um why have you avoided swearing in your lyrics from basically day one was there a perspective switch between like 1990 and
1: 1993 that that has stuck with you all this time well those early days especially i was definitely more i was more in a rebellious mindset i'm still rebellious i'm still a punk but i was like Fuck the world, punk. You know what I mean? Like I was really angry and I was I've now and I I think anger is an incredibly juicy energy that I've learned how to use differently. I can make beautiful things out of anger now. It's not so literal. So the anger kind of expresses itself differently and isn't so like you know, the middle finger type of anger. So I, again, it's just, I, maybe it's a maturation of, of stuff, but I, I curse all the time in everyday mm-hmm. life. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a sailor mouth person. <laughs> I mean, it's a, I'm mean not that bad, but I'm pretty, I, I like using curse words for emphasis. It feels natural to me. And um, I don't have any like shame or weirdness about it, you know? So it's uh, but I don't know, I guess with lyrics, it just, I, I think there's some in maybe the acoustic stuff um, here and there, but I don't know. I, I guess it just hasn't presented itself. I mean, for me, Cynic is such a extraterrestrial frequency. It's so like weirdly disembodied and yet highly embodied. And like, it's this weird kind of entity that comes through and, you know, and again, this Ascension Codes thing can kind of be connected to all of the records to a degree it's just gotten more precise in a way with ascension codes. But if I look at all of focus and I mean, all of cynics trajectory starting with focus. And I remember when we finished focus, like having some space around it and then hearing it, like as if, you know, I don't know if you've had this happen with your own work where you hear someone else's music, or if you write music, like it's a beautiful thing for a musician to have this where you hear your music in another room and you don't know it's yours. And it's like, I've had that happen where, and it happened with Focus, where it was like, wow, what is this shit? Like, who wrote this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> and it was really cool, because it was like, I liked it. I thought it was cool, you know? But at the same time, it was like, I totally heard it as someone else's music. And I think that's true with a lot of this work. It feels so maybe, you know, the the goal with Cynic, if there was a goal, is to approach things with some degree of higher vibration, bringing something, bringing some meaning again, I, you know, I've just annihilated that idea, but I'm going to go full circle now and, and contradict myself and say, I do feel I I want to raise the bar. I want to bring something meaningful and useful into the world as an artist. I want to offer some insights based on whatever I've experienced mm-hmm. to a degree. I mean, But then again, those insights can come from incredible suffering. So it's not necessarily about being high minded as much as just being authentic. Mm -hmm. And so it can present itself, though, in the realm of extraterrestrials and weird stuff and progressive music. But it does feel like coming full circle with this first idea that we talked about, which is trying to be offer something new right to be fresh to be original to have a new take on to take your influences and bring something new to the table I love that idea and I feel like that is always been the what I'm aspiring to to bring something new to do something different to get out of my comfort zone and I it's too easy to repeat yourself that's kind of boring that's the death of art Mm -hmm. I mean And I see a lot of artists do that. They just find their thing and they build variations on a theme with record after record. Even writers will do that. They find their voice and they just kind of replicate it. And that to me isn't interesting. What's interesting Mm -hmm. is getting out of your comfort zone constantly and creating something new and pushing yourself Mm -hmm. out of your safety to just bring something out that might be, might be an offering to the world. So yeah, it's cool to think about things that way, you know, to think without actually bringing any specialness to it, because, you know, give it, enough time will pass and no one will remember cynic too. I mean, even everything is eventually forgotten. You know, the passage of time is merciless, <laughs> you know, it doesn't. So you can't get too caught up in thinking any of this is very special, but It's kind of cool to think maybe it helped someone along the way, you know, that you offered something useful. And I always get off on that a little bit. I hear people all the time saying, Your music helped me through this experience. It helped me through this time in my life. And I think, Fuck yeah, that's cool. Oh, because music did that for me. Yeah, no, for sure. Writers did that for me. So I'm like, All about that. I'm like, That's cool. I mean, that's great. (laughs) You know, that's like, that's good to hear that it's actually doing something useful, right?
2: Uh, it's, it's just funny to hear you talking about not swearing and, and then and the sudden fuck yeah coming up <laughs> at the end of that discussion. I, I just had a, a bit amused by the contrast there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well. As we mentioned earlier, you have one of the longest careers of anyone that we've spoken to thus far on the podcast. Um, so before we move to our final question, we just wanted to kind of tie everything together that we've been talking about uh, and ask you like as a whole, um, what do you think is the biggest difference um, in how you approach metal language today um, and you know, metal lyric writing more broadly compared to when you first started? And you know, is there any kind of source of continuity uh, in your approach since you know, the very late 80s to now?
1: I definitely hear the continuity in the music mm-hmm. because I can hear as much as I think I'm getting out of my boxes and pushing constantly and to a degree we are. I mean, this has been someone argued that it's the curse of cynic is that we don't stay in the same place. We constantly are <laughs> inventing ourselves and you always have these fans that want you to stay in that record like you know we literally have people that like lot they say we lost them at focus they're into the demos i'm like oh my god (laughs) Like focus is when we actually felt like we had a sense of an identity in terms Mm -hmm. of a, a real like we came into a voice right it was a realized voice and then every record after that was just like kind of pushing that into new places but Lyrically, I suppose so. I Again, this going full circle, there's always been some degree of kind of looking inward and posing questions about what it is to be alive and who we are and what are we doing here and trying to take a deeper look at life. And I was I've always been like that as you know, I had my more punk rock roots, but I've always been an introspective, peculiar child, you know, and and. <laughs> It's kind of morphed into different things lyrically over the years. But I think that's kind of the, the there's always that degree of like asking those questions and trying to look inward mm-hmm. and trying to see what's going on and using art as a vehicle to kind of explore that, right? It's like, I, I mean, I've been writing poems my whole life too. I've always been interested in words I'm an avid reader. So I love like language. I love kind of how you can, and it wasn't until I started to write myself and I'm saying beyond lyrics, but just even writing that I realized how incredibly, how incredible it is, (laughs) like the vehicle of language in terms of how precise it is to express things and how you can, one word can change the entire thing. You know what I mean? It's so, mm-hmm. and the same is true with music. One note will change the whole feeling of a space, right? It's like from minor to major is a half step, right? If, mm-hmm. if you're looking at a third, it's these kinds of things that are true in language. So I've been fascinated with all that stuff. And there's like, if you look at the language in terms of a spiritual context they say you know they began with the word right and the word is was vibration it's sound and how did we pass along wisdom and traditions through sound through Mm -hmm. through language right it's like this is how we've learned as a species so it's it's all like connected right it's all kind of all happening and so i'm i don't know that there's like, I, I would be curious, actually, you guys have more objectivity than I do at this point in terms of what this stuff is doing. I'm too close to it. I don't really, mm. you know what I mean? I don't really know what the, what the connective tissue is. I I'm too like in I'm in it, you know, it's like, even the music, I'm always like, what does this sound like to you guys? You know, I say that to friends, like, what does this sound like, you know, because mm. I don't know what it sounds like, you know, right know how to i can give you shapes and colors and ideas and maybe reference a genre or two but at the end of the day it's really hard to be objective with your own work it's like it's hard you know and i think this is what we're always striving is to kind of see it in that way maybe that's why i still take psychedelics i don't know i mean it's like sometimes i have that word i mean it's funny like john uh, george harrison would say that he found what was useful useful about weed when he was smoking weed in those Beatles days was that he would use it to he would listen to a piece of music he finished and he would be able to hear it from a different set of ears mm. so it kind of allowed him to get out of his ego out of his kind of a, that whole closeness to the music and just hear it objectively and then he could tweak things and i get that you know like it's kind of you're always trying to step away and i do that with lyrics the lyric writing process for me is A lot of blah and then oh and then editing and coming back and editing and and then you're just trying to like get it right, get the whole thing to the shape right, and it's so peculiar and odd till it feels right. And it's it's never easy. I will say that it's not an easy thing. It's like I take the words as seriously as I do the music. It's like they're they go hand in hand, so it's it's all kind of, they're equally important. you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, I got to get this done now. Like the mm-hmm. words are like just as crucial in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's all happening. <laughs> 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 so I guess then the, uh, you've
2: touched on a lot of things that I think actually could answer this question already, but we like to finish by asking um, just if you were to take everything we've talked about and you know everything you've thought about with lyrics, what would you say ultimately is the role of lyrics in cynics
1: art? I mean, it's like, you know, the, the extraterrestrial in me says, oh, is to raise consciousness, to, um, to shed some light onto the world, to, offer some, a different perspective, perhaps to your own. Um, And then there's this part of me that says, I don't know if there's actually like, do I need to kind of bring meaning and specialness to what this is? I, at the end of the day, I'm just in service to something beyond myself. I don't feel like it's, there's a lot of me in that ultimately it's just being, trying to just, produce something that's works. And I, I, again, there's no, like, it doesn't, It I, it's out of love. This is what it's birthed out of. Like the root of it is love. And I think as long as I can, my love of making music and being a musician is at the essence of this stuff, then I know I'm doing the right thing. Does that make sense? Like I, yeah. Like, yeah. like long, as long as that's my great answer. Yeah, it's like there that's really kind of the goal is to just tell the truth and get to the bottom of this and and I think when you do that you you tell everyone's truth because truth is universal we're all connected so the more you can kind of get to that essence is the more people are going to relate to it I suppose. Mm-hmm.
2: Amazing. Yeah. Well, we know you're in a bit of a hurry. Yeah. So just want to say thank yeah. you so much. This was been, yeah. this has been fascinating. You, oh, it's really um, yeah. Enlightening. yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, uh, I'm so glad I didn't know where we were going. <laughs> awesome. Cause it's so different. I mean, this is a really cool discussion. I haven't had someone, you know, you guys really went in there. It's really cool. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you for, yeah. Thank you for dealing yeah. with um, us picking apart everything and trying to find intentionality, you know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So. <laughs> I really appreciate the effort. There. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, just fascinating. Thank you so much. This is this has been uh, just an incredible honor and and just such an interesting perspective
1: on things. So yeah, really appreciate your time. We
0: haven't heard before, which is yeah, great. and
1: I'm curious to learn more about what you guys do. So maybe we can have a separate discussion or we'll WhatsApp it sometime. Absolutely. <laughs> amazing, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anytime. Anytime. Absolutely. You're in Western Australia. Is
2: that? Um, I-, I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in Sydney. Oh, you're in Sydney. Okay, cool. Yeah. So three time zones makes it a little yeah. weird, but I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. Anytime you want to chat, absolutely. would
1: love to. Yeah,
0: please. Okay.
1: I'll hit you up. I'll follow you up on that. I want to, I want to know more. <laughs> so Cool. Sounds great. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. All right.
0: All right. Uh, well, thanks so much. Um, yeah. well, just before we let you go, is there any um, particular links you want us to include in our episode description?
1: Um, you can put just, uh, I think cyniconline.com mm-hmm. or com. They're kind of like at this point, just like, you know, like trees with a bunch of links and type of links <laughs> Yeah, yeah, links, but you know, either one, I think leads to a bunch of band related stuff or whatever, you know, that's all good. Cool. Okay. So, well, yeah. Great. Easy. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah. Be well, you guys. You too. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Lingua Rutalica. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. <laughs>